Hello and welcome to episode 131 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, bringing you stories from the LAFC community, match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we have our guest is Travis Helwig, who is a writer for the podcast Edith and for Adam Ruins Everything on HBO. And this week's opponent correspondent helping us preview the match against Charlotte FC is Brian Maurer, who is from TopBin90.com. This week, Jonathan is actually at the Dodgers LAFC night, and he will not be here at time of recording, but he will be on with the episode a little bit later to help us with the preview for the match against Charlotte. So uh, it's just myself and Christian Aparicio, my brother, man. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You did a great almost impression of Jonathan. Not as smooth. <laughs> He's got the practice, bro. He's got the yeah. practice. No, no, no. I think he has a voice as well when we miss him, of course. But good old times when it was just you and I before we recruited Jonathan on. So happy to be able to talk about the news and notes over the last week. A lot of things happened for LAFC. You know, short weeks, a lot of matches and even though it's the all-star game, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, there's still another game upcoming soon thereafter. So Yeah, absolutely. But uh, before we get into all of the positive notes, we have to talk about the League's Cup match that we lost at penalties to Club America. I wasn't there at the match. I don't believe you were there at the match. John was, was there. He said the atmosphere was crazy. There was all sorts of flares going off and... There was intermingling of fans and the security was terrible and people were fighting and stuff was getting thrown. You know, there was zero, zero enforcement of the security coming in and making sure that nobody was saying any of the obscene chants when the goalie kicks the ball that we've talked about. We talked about it on our last show. You know, there was the the overlooming threat that if it's heard, you're going to get kicked out. Nothing happened that all everybody called the bluff. And it was it was fan bases, the mixed fan bases. It wasn't like you're able to pinpoint, say it was this fan base or that fan base. You know, what we can say, though, was the 3252 was not partaking in that. That was from Jonathan. He said 100 percent the 3252 was not partaking in that, you know, and it was just unfortunate. It was just that was a a dark cloud, I feel, on the overall experience. But I heard that the atmosphere was something to be to give credit to. Yeah, I think locally we know more information because we have people there that participated in the festivities in the positive sense, right? Not participating in the chant, like you said, and making sure the world, not just the MLS and Liga MX, the world knew how hard our supporters go in the stands. And you can clearly hear the 32-52 throughout the match. I mean, I listened to Football Americas, clips of, you know, some Alexi Lalas, different, different podcasts throughout the previous week, apart from just the LAFC-centric ones. And everyone said that, you know, this is the kind of premier atmosphere. And I think this is the kind of final uh, we hope the League's Cup produces. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of smaller market, quote-unquote, teams participating from both MLS and Liga Amekis. But if you get a team from LA and either Chivas or America or one of the other grandes how to calm down in Liga Mekis, maybe New York City, Seattle, things of that nature in a final, it's going to be something of that nature in a stadium that big. We've proven now that we can fill up a stadium, an NFL stadium. So I'm looking forward to that in terms of the positive. I think some of the other things, there has to be real conversations with the staff, the organizers, that some of these things need to be enforced, maybe stoppage of games like they've done in the past, if we are going to be really serious about trying to eradicate the chant in future matches. Absolutely. It's interesting. I think that the 
attendance, the recorded attendance was more than what was at the Super Bowl just this past February, which I think is amazing. It just it goes to show you that the Los Angeles fan base will come out and support in in big games. And now granted too, you could say, oh, well, there was two matches, but the attendance for the first match was a, a, a third of what it was in the final match. You know, it, I mean, it didn't help that the Chivas versus Galaxy game was at 5.30, but it still showed that, you know, when it came time for the second match, whether it was the fact that people weren't able to get off of work or people just preferred to go and watch that game, that atmosphere was intense. And you could hear it in the broadcast too. They had talked about the difference in the environment versus in the first match versus the second match. It was good to see that they laid down grass for this match. I think that Stan Kroenke is really trying to showcase this venue for the World Cup. It was good. I think that it was definitely anytime that we can get Los Angeles on the global scale when it comes to football is a great thing. Agreed. No, I think um, let's not forget there's an opportunity also to showcase the stadium as part of the Olympics LA is hosting. So a lot of things that needed to go well, I think by and large, at a macro level, things went pretty well. I, I like I wouldn't say that a lot of people that are not into either the Galaxy or LAFC would know a lot about some of the things that went on in the stands or if you're not following closely, if you're just more of a casual supporter from around the country and in Mexico, you're going to think, hey, man, look at that. They filled up the stadium. They, be they beat the Super Bowl. And it just it was smoke, flare, chance the entire game. Really intense, also opportunity making. I, I do think that LAFC was more dangerous caused more occasions of goal and we just you know have some young players that still need some experience in the penalty scenario and i think this is good i mean it was a game that didn't have a lot of stakes in terms of silverware but had the atmosphere to kind of train for that because you can't replicate that in the training field so i think the next time around some of these players that weren't able to score on a penalty kick are gonna feel less nervous yeah it's unfortunate to lose any match in penalties are not easy to enjoy but it was still it was a it was a friendly and there was no real award at the end of this other than simply having bragging rights. The rosters constantly had changing of players on both sides. So I don't think that, you you know, you walk away from this and, and you feel the loss and it, it doesn't it's not like it's one that's going to sit with you for a couple of days. You know, you practically move on from it anyways. I think that most people are just happy that nobody got hurt. Totally. I agree. I'm happy that we got to see all of our players and some of the youth. No one got hurt. And then we were able to prepare, prepare to the next match. But in between and before, you know, we our match with Real Salt Lake. Um, if you want to move on, Chris, we could talk about some of the deadline news, right? The deadline day was the next day for MLS in terms of the secondary transfer window. And there was some movement. Oh, was there some movement? And we talked about it in the last podcast when we recorded it. Um, there was some of the discussion around potential moves in the attacking uh, third. And we said, okay, maybe Danny moves. But if Danny moves, is Dennis Boan going to come? Who's going to come? Or do we have enough roster space? So what ended up happening? Danny Mazowski goes to Real Salt Lake for 250k in GAM. We were able to offload Tajuri Shroudy to New England Revolution for 400 in GAM. I think coming in 24-25, same dollar amount, no gain, no loss there. And those two moves allow Dennis Buonga to come in as our third DP. And this is the first season that we have that opportunity to see three DPs. All the chips are being moved onto the table. 
the chessboard is full in terms of the pieces we need to potentially get an MLS Cup. And he was a captain of the Gabon national team. He had 10 goals, 6 assists last season with Saint-Étienne in Ligue 1, 27 years old. And unfortunately, uh, Saint-Étienne went down to Ligue 2, or the second division in France. But that's good for us because, you know, I'm sure he didn't want to play in the second division. He was at a point where he could be sold on so that Senetien can retool and try to get back into Liga. And we're getting a 27-year-old left winger that can play in the center, can play on the right, uh, Swiss Army knife attacking-wise, adding to this set of uh, attackers that we have with Brian Rodriguez coming back and being healthy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what are your thoughts on all these three kind of pieces coming in, coming out? One coming in, two leaving to make space for that. It's hard, right? I, I mean, I love the fact that we have this depth. But when you looked at two matches ago and when Gareth Bale came on for Chicho Arango, you could see in Chicho Arango's body language that he was frustrated that he was coming out. Now, I don't know if that's him being frustrated that he was coming out because he felt like he shouldn't be getting pulled or he was getting frustrated that he was getting subbed out for another player or whatever the circumstances might be. But we're now going to get to this point where we're going to have a lot of players that are not probably going to be as happy as they were with their minutes, right? Everyone is now going to be sharing this load. You know, we have six strikers. We had already said that people like Danny Masovsky and uh, Tajiri Shradi potentially could be starters on other rosters. We have six strikers that for sure, 100% would be strikers on any roster in the MLS, right? We've got our three DPs now in Bowanga, Vela, and Rodriguez. We've got Bale, we've got Chicho Arango, and we've got Opoku, and Opoku right? So we've got these six players that it's it just makes it so there are going to have to be sacrifices made for the greater good of the team if we're going to be successful. You have to get players to buy into that, right? Especially if a player is looking for an opportunity. If they see writing on the wall and say, hey, look, this is not the environment that I want to play in because I want to be on a team where I'm getting more minutes, you know, that player is going to want to showcase their ability so that they have that opportunity to move on in, in, in the next transfer window at the end of the season. Now Steve Turandolo is going to have to do this balancing act. You just hope that the environment in the locker room continues to stay solid that the players don't get discouraged, that there's not any kind of animosity or toxic environments. Um, and, and it could happen, right? If all the players are having a good time and they're enjoying their, and they're enjoying their football and we're winning, it might be a perfect storm. I just worry though about just how it's going to play out because there's just so many potent strikers. So I, I, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm, I'm subtly just kind of, bracing for something to, to go wrong. Yeah, I think you bring up good points, but to this point, I have a little trust in Chirundolo because every task, every test so far, he's been able to achieve. I mean, you could you could have made that same argument, not to a lesser degree, earlier on in the season, and he's been able to get enough people, enough minutes, um, rotating them. Uh, I think it, what's helpful in MLS, there's that allowance now of like five subs, so you can get more more players on. That's going to be also helpful to arrive into the playoffs healthier. I think that change has made a team like LAFC get, or has given them the, the ability to take advantage of the depth, right? Because he's also said this before, like they, they plan per half almost. Yeah, I'm, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's like per 30 minutes. Um, 
depending on the opponent, their their capabilities, their strengths, their weaknesses, and you know, planning for our players to be able to counter that. Um, where I I think one thing that that can help with this potentially if Raito has a good month of August, um, there was reports right that uh, America was looking at him in that match, and there's there's they were asking about him. I think if we can get our money back for Rayito or I mean a little bit more, it might be worthwhile offloading him for the good of the locker room. Cause I foresee Boanga gonna it's gonna take his his minutes. I mean if he's if he's a finished product uh, uh to the elk of what Rayito does now and I mean the highlights and although short seem like he has Similar abilities, but with more control, more finished product in terms of passing in the box and and being able to to score. And Raito's still, I think, a season or two away. Maybe maybe not in the right system for himself either here to be able to do that uh, progress in the same clip. So we will see. We have abundance of riches up top right now, even at center back. And the midfield has been been reinforced a little bit prior to deadline day with uh, Seba Mendes. So. I am optimistic that we can continue to stay at this uh, supporter shield pace till the end of the season to cure that CCL. And um, because we have so many players that are good, healthy enough to make a run deep into the playoffs and bring the cup to LA. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, do you happen to know when the transfer window, because the transfer window for players incoming into the MLS is now closed, but you had talked about America looking and inquiring about Brian Rodriguez, you know, so you know, how does that transfer window play in? Can players still leave? You know, players can still come and go from the MLS, but it's, you know, it's not like we can't necessarily bring players in unless they're free agents, right? And there was another post that I saw that there was a a long list of players who are free agents right now out of contract with their clubs in Europe that LAFC could bring in because they're out of contract. But, you know, how does the, the Liga Emekis transfer window work so that if, it, you know when would the deadline be so that we would know definitively whether or not Brian would be sold before the end of the season or not? Good question. I'm trying to look it up right now, but my understanding I think was later in August, if not early September. So I mean, there's a, a few weeks here for that to happen. Uh, either way, I, th- I think America is not the only one that has interest. Uh, obviously, he's a, a dynamic player, and then the right system, the right maybe support to his style of football can bring even more out of him. I'm not going to say he hasn't played well; he has produced. But it's not to the ability that we all expect him to in comparison to the salary he's receiving. Right. Absolutely. So in addition to the new acquisitions, we had a match. We played at Salt Lake. It was a 4-1 victory at the Rio Tinto Stadium. The back heel chip from Chicho Arango in that first half, filthy. Absolutely filthy. That was, I mean, just the finesse, the touch. I, I mean, I'm not a fan that gets overly emotional by goals. You know, I understand that in sports, you've got the highs and lows. And I am i don't like getting too emotional about, behind anything because I'm like, you know, let me just wait to see how the game plays out and just, you know. But when I saw that back sole behind chip in, oh, my gosh, I jumped up and I was like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. Yeah, no, that was a sheer instinct, the street ball type stuff, right? Like small sided. You're playing with probably down the block in a cage 
growing up for him. I'm, I'm comparing him playing in Colombia. I'm sure that's where he kind of learned some of these tricks. And you're right. Like it was kind of a lost ball inside the six, dragged it behind and kind of clipped it over from behind with a, with a heel. And only a handful of people can do it in that scenario, that highest stakes in a professional game. Very impressive. It's something, you know, box office, edge of your seat kind of thing. And that's the kind of presence that he has. And I think that chip on the shoulder that he already had, I think he's one of those players that is going to be motivated because of all these acquisitions, because he wants to keep that spot. And that's the passion you saw when he came out for Gareth Bale. He's like, I don't even care if it's Gareth Bale coming in. Like, I think I deserve to be in here to finish my games. I'm on a goal scoring streak because he came out in that game. He lost it. And he's like, you know what? Let me let me put two. And we'll talk about the second one later. But let me put in this first one and, and make up for the one I didn't get in that game. So, yeah, absolute filth. That's the right description for that first goal. And I think it set the tone offensively um, going into that game. Yeah, absolutely. So the Chicho Rongo goal, ninth minute of the match. Three minutes later, Sergio Cordova. Scores for RSL. I feel like I had read a statistic that said that in soccer, within the first five minutes after a goal is typically when the defense is not as sharp. And that's, you know, there's like a higher percentage of scoring a goal for the opposite team. I think it was five minutes. If it wasn't, I'm saying it was five minutes and uh, it was true when I said it. So uh, that's just part of the case, right? Three minutes later, RSL puts a goal in the back of the net. And I think, you know, you could kind of see in replays that David Jesus Murillo might have been a little asleep, not necessarily as alert. That's part of, you know, that reason why that goal had gone through. Yeah, goals happen, obviously, when mistakes happen defensively. And Murillo has been pretty solid the entire season, but he does have occasions where he can't be sharp. And I do think, you know, after a goal kind of like that or any goal, you're a little bit hyped up and emotional and maybe not as focused so it made me question 2021 2020 where we would score and get scored back on and i was like all right this is one of those tests you know the atmosphere there was really good lafc supporters showed out but also gareth bale was there so there was just more support for rsl so i was hoping that uh, a goal so quickly after us scoring wouldn't happen but uh, i also wanted to see after that goal happened how we would manage the game and continue to execute on the game plan and hopefully get the win after that 1-1 draw. That was momentary, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And just, again, within a short five minutes later, boom, LAFC comes back. Kellen Acosta with a screamer. Of course, it was a ricochet off of a poku, but it falls at the foot of Acosta. He just cocks back, kicks it in. I mean, there was so much heat on that ball. It was an impressive ball to see go in. Yeah, good to see that Acosta is getting on the score sheet because he he does a lot of unnoticed work. And same with Opoku. I mean, him being in the box, being active, going for the ball, attempting to bring it down and get it to Acosta, it ricocheted oddly because of the defender that was there, but ultimately got to him and he knew what to do with it. Didn't think about it, put it low to the corner and there was nothing the keeper could do about it. So now we're in the second half. Second half, there were also some two big chances from Chicho Rongo. He tried from that long shot. He almost had caught that goalkeeper out of position, but it just wasn't enough. And uh, there was also the one-on-one with the keeper where he was trying to be a little chippy. He tried to chip it on over his head. You know, again, I think you're talking about that arrogance, that swagger that he has about him. Might have gotten the better of him those two times. But man, if those would have gone in, those would have just continued to play into the narrative that he is a dynamic player and that, you know, that he rightfully could deserve a designated player role on any team. Totally. No. And we want players up in the third to try things, right? It's least risky in terms of being scored on. So be inventive. 
you know, put things on the line and try to score. And it could be glorious or you can look like a fool. And I think he's not worried about looking like a fool at times because he'll go and do it again and hopefully score the next time. Absolutely. But again, you know, Chicho Rongo continued to knock on that door and he got himself his second goal, his brace, you know, with a nice, beautiful turn and assist from Apoku again. And, um, you know, I mean, this this team was just firing on all cylinders, man. Yeah. Opoku's progression cannot be overlooked. He's continuing to start as because it's it, one, obviously fitness for Bale and then for Rodriguez not being available because of his injury. But at every game, he gets more confidence. And the way he turned there, it was so quick. He understood exactly where the defender was on his back, where his turning radius was going to be. That first touch just got the ball there, and he's obviously quick enough. And then he didn't think about the pass, putting it across the face of goal. And Chicho, because they practice every day, knew exactly what was happening. And he was there first and just squared the ball, opened his uh, um, body up to be able to put it on the other side for the goalie. And even if the goalie was there, it was, it was cornered enough for Chicho. So it was one of those where you can tell that chemistry is there, especially with them starting so often together. Chicho... Vela and Opoku and to me honestly right now it's hard to say that one of those is an automatic sit uh, other than the name being a marquee but if it we're going solely solely on fitness and form that three is my preferred for the first 60 minutes at this point in time absolutely so all right I'm gonna need your expertise here man because I am definitely one of these people that don't know the rules of soccer or the MLS as well as as well as I probably could the handball right Chiellini throws up the hands does the handball turns around apologizes not a red card gets a yellow T- talk to me about this situation tell me your perception of it tell me what you thought tell me why it played out the way that it did yeah no I'd say any intentional handball, is a yellow card, right? It's only a red card if you're denying a goal or uh, denying a goal-scoring opportunity. The reason this time it wasn't a red card is because Murillo had the angle to have gotten there if the ball had gone over, right? Now, And you're saying because there was a player from RSL who was, who was making the run, hence mm-hmm. why that ball was being played to, but Murillo had the angle to play defense against the attacker from RSL. Right. So, and I'll kind of explain the play a little bit, right? There was a ball that was in the air. Kalini misread the bounce. The RSL player read the bounce correctly, and he kind of backed off and got behind Kalini, expecting the ball to go over. Kalini put up his hands and kind of volleyball blocked it back down and started, you know, trotting back into his spot and, like, raised his hand in apology knowing that he knew it was going to be a yellow card, but that was the best defense at that point, given the mistake in terms of misreading the, the the bounce, right? And the reason it isn't a red card going back is it has to be an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Not only was this almost at half, Murillo was at the half of line in an angle to start running to support Chiellini. So had the ball gone over because he didn't put his hands over, missed it, and that player from RSO would have gotten it, there was an opportunity for for someone to be there and defensively be active right in front of that player, not too too much thereafter. So in terms of the rules, the call was right. In terms of wisdom and savviness and knowing where you are, knowing the situation, knowing your abilities, your your mistake, misreading the bounce. Kalini uh, was a master in that. He knows when it's going to be a yellow, when it's going to be a red. I bet you if, he, if he's the last person, if he knew that Murillo wasn't there, he doesn't do it. He kind of gives it to RSL to go half the field and see if they can score on Kerr Pro. So I saw online, you know, people are calling it Mano de Dio. 
because of his Italian. I think he took a, a page out of Suarez, Maradona, uh, in terms of knowing when to use it, how to get away with it, and when it makes sense to put your, your team in the best position to win. And that's what he's here to do anyway in defense. And it, even if it's not quote-unquote sportsmanlike, it's still within the rules. And he got you know punished for it within the rules, and we move on. All right, so this is the highlight. This is the highlight of the match. Saved it for the best for last. The fourth goal. Gareth Bale comes in, gets subbed in with about 30 minutes left in the match. And the goal, I mean, it just highlighted his speed. And I think that, you know, some people were looking back to Gareth Bale in his run when he played for Real versus Barca. But let's not even try and make that comparison, right? That's like, that's two different levels of leagues. And it just highlights his ability to get around players and how much speed he has. It was amazing. And he made it look so easy. Yeah, it, it felt like you're watching an adult versus like, you know, teenagers or children in terms of the difference in speed and the way he picked up. I, I'll give credit to Chicho. He, Chicho kind of recognized the space, put it in that area for him to go get. He wasn't able to control it cleanly, but his speed is so impressive. And he understands that himself and he was able to control it enough to put it in, in his path multiple times until he got better control once he started getting get to the end line. The level that he is at in terms of control and speed, getting to the end line and opening up his angle to then start dribbling towards the penalty spot in order to give himself an even better angle to shoot at or pass. And he's so fast that he, he almost got there with few defenders at that point. Uh, he was able to open up his hips and put it across goal. And um, he made it look easy, to your point. And he did it so quickly. And it, it, is, it is what we all expected of him. And I think there's been comments from both Cherundulo. I saw also, uh, I think, a day ago, in an interview from Vela saying that, you know, they all made the comment to Gareth after the match, telling him, hey, now we know that you can use those legs. You're fit enough to have a run or two in, in a match. So I anticipate almost game planning for some of those counter-attacking moves where he gets in behind um, and, and just kind of takes off. So I expect goals coming in that manner from him, apart from the other things he could do on the pitch. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what the next iteration of this is going to look like with Gareth Bale. Just some of the highlights of the stats. Shots, uh, RSL outshot us by two. So the total shots for RSL was 16. LAFC had 14. RSL had seven corners. LAFC had two. And possession, RSL had 56%, whereas LAFC had 44%. You know, again, I think that against a stronger opponent, those are the stats that I don't necessarily like to see. I think that we wouldn't be able to do be as successful if we were to be playing a stronger opponent right now. You know, we can't give up that many corners. And, you know, our possession needs to be always, all in my opinion, just for the way that we play, our possession always needs to be higher, closer to 50 or higher with more possession. But, uh, you know, after hearing those stats and seeing the scoreline, what do you think about LAFC's performance? I mean, obviously they won, but I think it's not like when Bob was managing where possession was as important because that's how we created chances. I feel like we can almost give up the ball in, or, in order to play coy and counterattack and um, other teams do that against us but now we can play almost in every in every way we can play possession we can play counter and we can play defensive 
So even the, the corners don't scare me as much with the organization we have now. Defensively, we're more solid. Do I think that they're not good enough or this is not the trend I want to see? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Also, to me, of the three stat lines that you just read, the shots, you know, I, I want to limit that as much as possible. And then being outshot is not what I want. But obviously, we scored four. So we're the most effective, most efficient. We're creating better chances. So um, I can live with the possession if um, we're getting the quality looks that we did on this on this game. That's a good point. You know, one other thing to note from this match, Ilya Sanchez acquired another yellow. So he is going to miss the next match due to yellow card accumulation against Charlotte, which is probably not a bad idea because they are playing in the All-Star game this midweek. And so it's an opportunity for him to get some rest. Just some fun facts. LAFC still remains undefeated this season with a perfect 12-0 and record when scoring first. LAFC is currently on a five-game MLS winning streak. This is just the second time in LAFC history that they have had a five-game winning streak. The last time LAFC had five-game winning streak in a row, that was in July 26, 2019 through August 21st, 2019, and we all know how that season ended. Saturday night's victory marks LAFC's fifth straight MLS win and third consecutive road victory, with all three road wins coming against Western Conference opponents. Those are those six-point swing games that we love to get. Chicho Orango scored two goals, and he continues to lead the club with 11 regular season goals. That, to me, is going to be something where, you know, you have to really, like that player, you can't sit him. You you can't take him out. You can't sit him. That's such a great stat to have. To, for him to have 11 goals already this season, and this is, I think, our 24th match, It's I'm he, he's doing very well. Yeah, and he started the season slow, too. He was injured. Imagine had he been able to stay fit from the very first match. So with Arango's second goal that he scored in the match against RSL, LAC have now scored 300 major league soccer regular season goals since joining the league in 2018. Gareth Bale made his fourth appearance for LAFC entering the match at the 64th minute and scoring his second MLS goal in the 87th minute, and on August 6th, set an MLS record for 57 goals on a match day, passing the previous record of 46. So as a whole, the league as a whole had scored 57 goals on August 6th, and the previous record was 46. I mean, you know, especially on this week when they're talking about Liga MX and MLS, you know, the trending topic continues to be that the MLS is a surging league that looks to be potentially, you know, surpassing Liga MX. And there's analysts that are forecasting that it's just going to continue to grow and surpass other leagues in, in other countries. Yeah, I don't disagree. Like there's investment here. There's interest. There's also security when comparison to some of the regions in Mexico. There's perceived less corruption. I think the structure is better. The parity is better. I think teams truly do have a better chance year over year of getting into the playoffs and potentially win the MLS Cup versus in Mexico. It's a, it's only a handful of teams that really compete year over year. So, and then now we're we're competing to bring players from South America. Before it was Mexico or Europe and Mexico, what happened if kind of Europe didn't happen? Now they see MLS as another springboard and more often than not from here, they're going over in comparison to, to Mexico, to Europe. So I think MLS is trending well in all the right directions. And then stars like Gareth Bale and Isinia and Chiellini and Bernadette are choosing to come here instead of yeah, making it after they've had their prolonged stints in, in Europe. And I think the star power is here also. So they have their work cut out for them in terms of the most recent three to five years. And they see us coming. And I think that's why there's so many partnerships with Beaks Cup, Campeones Cup, 
CONCAC champions is usually us against them. And they, they are seeing us more often than they would like to in comparison to previous years. Absolutely. It's exciting. Exciting times to be an MLS fan. Some good news. Eric Duenas, young Eric Duenas, left back for LAFC, one of our homegrown players. He played for his first time in a year in the Las Vegas match over the weekend. He made an appearance in the 77th minute Played for 13 minutes in a nil-nil draw versus the Phoenix Rising. You know, it's it's a good for him. He had an, an ankle injury that had him sidelined for much of 2020 and 2021. And then he came back for like six weeks. You know, it was like July and August of last year. And then he got injured again with a different injury. And then he'd been out for a whole year. So uh, happy to see that this young man is coming back and is finally getting his opportunity to play again. You know, still looking forward to having some of these homegrown players on our roster on a regular basis. Christian Torres, right now, LAFC's homegrown players are Christian Torres, Tony Leone, Eric Duenas, and Nathan Ordaz. Those are the four homegrown players that are all right now currently playing for Las Vegas. But, you know, I, I thought that, you know, the few times that I've seen Eric play, he has been electric and he's been a lot of fun to watch. So I'm really looking forward to his development and hoping that uh, we get to see him in black and gold again in the near future. Agreed. He's fearless and that's what you need sometimes. So I'm, I'm happy that he's back on the pitch. And more community news. So our friends at Global Diplomatic are having two events coming up over the next two weeks. Last episode, we spoke to you about the charity at the Lab 5. They had to postpone that date. It's now going to be August 21st. But now, instead, this upcoming weekend at the match versus Charlotte, it's Ecuadorian night at the Bank of California. In honor of our Ecuadorian players, we will be having a tailgate collection drive. Some of the items being collected will be taken to the children of Ecuador. Items that they are looking to collect, new and or lightly used LAFC or 3252 gear, hats, clothing, shoes or cleats or pins. Also, they're looking to do some monetary fundraising. There's $5 tequila shots and cheeseburger sale to collect funds for Adana Flores, which um, Adana Flores is the young girl who needs the surgeries that, that the event on the 21st is also going to be, the funds are going to be processed the event for the 13th is going to be located in the middle of Christmas Tree Lane. It's going to be from 12 to 5 p.m. If you're looking for more information, you can reach out to Roberto. His phone number is 747-955-7406. That's 747-955-7406. As for the following weekend, Sunday, August, August 21st, there's going to be a soccer clinic with LAFC players. We have uh, Eddie Segura, Jose Cifuentes, David Jesus Murillo, and Latif Blessing. All four of them are going to be going to the Lab 5, which is over in Pacoima from 5 to 6.30. Registration is $50. Again, you can reach out to Roberto and uh, you can register for that event. They're going to have the three different age groups. It's for as children as young as three and children, I think, all the way up to 14 or 15. I think that that's what the age is uh, for these. And they're going to have them... Three different age groups all going at the same time from 5 to 6.30. And this is an opportunity for you to come out. You're going to be, the funds are going to be going straight for this young girl, Adana Flores, who is in desperate need of these of these surgeries. She has um, cerebral palsy. And so she needs to have seven surgeries to go. And, and it's a total of $19,000 for her seven surgeries that they need. And so any little bit helps, but it's also an opportunity for you to bring your young children out and they get an opportunity to play some soccer on a Sunday with some of their favorite LAFC players. Um, and if you guys, uh, you know, want any more information, you can reach out to us on social media. We'd love to, you know, pass 
pass on the information and uh, help you guys get connected. I'm going to be there with my two sons. So, you know, we'd love to see you guys out there. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, you, You should try and come, dude. Bring X. We'll see. I mean, he kicks the ball around, but... He gets tired after a few minutes. <laughs> so, hey, but yeah, no, it'll be a good experience just to be around that atmosphere. So we'll see if we can make it uh, so that he can participate. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe just watching maybe, this time around. Maybe it'll be the first time that all three of us are there together in person. You know, we'll we'll set the pop up up. We'll get some merchandise out. I've got the new pins that nobody has seen yet because I just I haven't brought them to games and we haven't done anything like that. You know, maybe we'll bring some swag and some trying. Try and get the podcast out there. Uh, last thing on the news and notes, All-Star Game. This is All-Star Week. At the time of recording, the All-Star Game hasn't been played, but by the time you listen to this, the All-Star Game will have been played. Uh, LAFC has three representatives uh, representing black and gold for the, the senior squad. That's Carlos Vela, Diego Palacios, and Ilya Sanchez. And, you know, there is a young man, Brian Moyado. That is his name. He is a... Um, representing for the developmental i i'm not sure i think it's the mls next program for this all-star game brian moyado uh, from the lafc academy no looking forward to it um i want to make sure that we get the win again even if it's in penalties and also in the skills challenge so very happy for vela palacios and Ilie, and i still think you know murillo could have gone um sifu could have gone but i know that they need to spread the love um, I think Chicho Rango should have gone, bro. That's the that's the snub. Yeah, that's I think I think um, him not being available early on. I think his stats. I don't know when the cutoff was, um, but if you if you were going today, I feel like you know ha- at least half the team, half the starting squad should be there. To be honest with you, for LAFC, and, and it'd be difficult to argue against it with their performances and the results so far. But you know, MLS, like I said, has almost thirty teams and. Um, they want to spread the love. They want to make sure people in Cincinnati and Columbus and Miami are all watching as well. So I understand that also. And Lee, this has definitely been one of the more exciting events that some fans look forward to. I know that sometimes all-star games are not necessarily looked forward to by the fans, but because this is a Liga Mekis all-star squad side versus the MLS all-star side, it's a lot of fun. And I felt like last season when I went to go and see when the all-star game was at at the bank of california stadium i really did feel like the players were passionate and playing to win and it meant something to them and uh you know lafc had won at the very end right and it was you could tell that it was an elated victory you know mls supporters were so excited that we beat the liga mechis and i'm looking to make it two years in a row definitely and it'll happen positive vibes hopefully at the time of recording i'm not wrong So uh, with that, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back with our interview with Travis Helwig. So stay with us and we'll be back. This is Will Koontz and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, Black and Gold family, welcome back. This week we have an amazing interview. It is with a fan from day one. He is originally from Connecticut, but he now lives and resides here in Los Angeles, been a season ticket holder from the very first season. His name is Travis Helwig. You may notice that name. He has been in the industry working as a writer and producer. He has worked with the likes of the show Edith, Adam Ruins Everything on HBO. He was the former head writer for Crooked Media, and he worked on Pod Save America. And, oh, by the way, he has won the an Emmy three different times. 
Please welcome Travis Helwig to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I like to always say whenever anyone mentions my Emmys that they're daytime Emmys, so they're a little less cool than primetime Emmys, but they're still Emmys. Four daytime Emmys is one primetime Emmy, so I'm almost there. You know what? You know, uh, Max Bredos has won an award, right? We should like make a wall of like all the the people that have won awards on our show and just put you would be on there. I don't uh, care well, if they're daytime Emmys. I yeah, it's the I same statue. Yeah. It looks the same. That's yeah. the that's the best part. No one knows the difference. If you want to follow Travis, it's at Travis Helwig. T R A V I S H E L W I G. From time to time, you will see him talking about LAFC, and he's a great follow. It's a lot of really good, entertaining content. So, Travis, you know, for those those of us who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Tell us where you grew up, some of the sports you played, uh, and the activities that you did in your youth. Yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut, and I'm a blonde white guy. So whenever I say I'm from Connecticut, people assume that I have horses. So I always like to caveat that I came from like a factory town right outside of Bridgeport, basically like the New Jersey of Connecticut. And I played a lot of soccer growing up. It was the only sport I was halfway good at. And uh, I was a keeper uh, my whole career until I got to high school and I stopped growing at five foot eight. And so my skill set was limited a little bit. I still had the reflexes, but they learned how to to kick above me, which uh, children didn't. But we were state champs when I was like U14. That's the highlight of my sports career. And I kind of gave it up since then as I've gotten fatter and slower and more tired. (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to keep up the fitness, especially after high school, where you can eat anything and do whatever we, you want. We would eat so much pasta, and like, I don't think that actually helps. We pretended that eating pasta helped, but I don't think it does. <laughs> yeah, carb loading, right? <laughs> yeah. I w- and especially as a keeper, too, you're like, you don't have to do the run. I mean, you're supposed to do the runs, but no one gets mad if you're last. And, you know, how, how did that passion transfer itself into, obviously, your football or soccer career didn't go past that 5-8 stint. Um, (laughs) When did you start, you know, dabbling or thinking about getting into the show business industry projects, maybe things that you worked on early on? Yeah. After I grew up, I thought I wanted to get into politics. I liked politics a lot, which is an insane thing for a child to say. (laughs) But I moved to Washington, D.C., to go to college there, quickly learned I did not like the people involved in politics, all nightmare people, very poorly dressed. And uh, I started spending my summers in New York doing comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. When I was back in DC, I did do intramural soccer where I destroyed my knees by playing goalie indoors nonstop. But I, uh, I was going summers in New York to do comedy, come back to do school in DC, Ended up moving to New York to do comedy full time. I went to grad school up there as well at NYU. But, you know, when you're alone in the box, uh, you got a lot of time to think. (laughs) And I think that, uh, you know, creative people like being alone. Goalies are weird. You know, you can't win the game. You can only lose the game. So there's no glory in being a goalie. And it's a... um, I think only weirdos become goalie because you can only mess things up. <laughs> I would like to think that there would be some goalies that say you can, in fact, win the game, man, because if you make those crucial saves at the right time. But I do I do agree that they are undervalued when it comes to who really has the influence on the game. Well, you don't I, I think like you can't I would say the goalies can win the game, but they never get the glory unless it's like a PK situation or whatever. Right. But like. You know, you score a goal, everyone's excited, but like you make three good saves, people sort of forget about it by the end of the game, but the game would have been very different. It was a, you know, I was angry about this in my youth. I loved PKs too, because when you took a PK or when someone took a PK on you, no one expected you to save it. But if you got to save it, it was, that's the glory. That's the one time you get glory. Yeah. I I don't, I don't think what you're saying is incorrect in terms of it takes a special type of personality or character to be a keeper. 
because yeah you are going to be alone but you're going to be barking orders and one mistake is everything falls on you so you almost have to be an edgy person because you have to be almost prepared at any moment to have those those reflexes be able to stand up to whatever shot is coming at you you have to watch the totality of the game and like make sure people don't miss things while also participating in the game and you're alone and you're sort of like facing a different direction it just there's like if you're winning the game you don't interact with people it's a very bizarre way to play a sport it's why i was out of shape so talk to us you had mentioned working for the upright citizens Brigade in New York. There is an Upright Citizens Brigade here in Los Angeles, you know, and doing some stand-up comedy in New York City. So what brought you out here to Los Angeles? So I was doing, I never did stand-up because it's terrifying, but I did improv and sketch comedy at UCB. And uh, UCB, for people who don't know, is the theater that Amy Poehler started in New York. They have one out here. It's if I don't know if they're reopened yet, but it would it would be like five dollar shows. Really great. Christopher and I were talking before the show. A lot of SNL people go through there. So if you ever get a chance to see a show, go see a show. But I was doing comedy in New York. I met my wife in New York who was doing stand up, and she's a writer, a much more talented and cool writer than me. Um, and she was working at Jimmy Fallon, then got a job out in L.A. And and I, I left New York about, I want to say over 10 years ago now, I moved out to Los Angeles and she's had uh, a bunch of great jobs and I've uh, worked at a podcast company. So those are the, that's how you could tell that she's, I'm the trophy husband in the relationship. <laughs> you could say that, but I mean, podcasts are, are, have been hot over the last decade too. They are, so, they are. And I don't right. mean to disrespect your right, career. I was say, I don't, don't, <laughs> don't crush our dreams, man. We're trying to. We're trying to get on that level one day where we can get some type of compensation for this effort. Yeah, no, you deserve it. You guys have been doing it forever, man. I'm a, I, I've said this off the air, but I'm a big fan. We appreciate it. Oh, no, no. So as a transplant, quote unquote, here to L.A., there were other teams here. You know, and it, it it wasn't it wasn't until in Los Angeles. I don't think there's any other uh, well, teams in Los Angeles. In, in Southern California, maybe. Yes. Okay. Say. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There was Orange County. Teams. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in, in, in the county of Los yes. Angeles, I should say. But were you watching soccer, I guess, MLS or European South American soccer before you came to LA, number one? Number two, obviously, there there was opportunities to to adopt a different team within 30 miles, but you didn't choose to do that. Yeah, I mean... Um... I wasn't watching a lot of pro soccer when I was younger. I mean, I went I went to like an early, you know what I did go to? I went to Freddie Adu's first game or his first time he scored a goal. It was DC United versus the Metro Stars. And I went to see the Metro Stars and D- he scored for DC United. But I, I didn't watch a lot of pro soccer until I moved to New York and I'd watch a lot of Knicks. I was a Knicks fan and I still am a Knicks fan. And I would I was a big Drogba fan. So I would watch a Chelsea and I became a Chelsea fan in New York and it was much easier to watch the Premier League in New York because it's a little it's three hours earlier. So you don't have to wake up as early. Um, and then I moved out to L.A. Or actually before that, even uh, um, Portland and Seattle came into the league and I was like, oh, something different is happening in the MLS. Like there it wasn't what I remember as a kid with the Metro Stars where it felt like it was for it felt like a college sport. And and seeing the the excitement in Portland and Seattle made me go, OK, something's going on here. And then I moved out to L.A. It became a little bit harder to watch Chelsea. And I went to two Galaxy games. I lived in Echo Park at the time. I live in Highland Park now. And so it's a long, long trek to Carson, especially during rush hour on like a weeknight game. And that vibe that I wanted from Portland and Seattle was just not there. Like it it was a little bit disappointing. And I decided I didn't want to do that drive for something that was, I'm sorry for anyone listening, very boring. Uh, (laughs) It was not fun. It wasn't a fun environment. And it's an hour both ways. 
So I just gave up. And then um, a few years later, I heard that they were launching the team and I became, I wasn't a person, I didn't put a deposit on my season tickets until the season had started. I was at the first game, but I didn't get my season tickets until halfway through the first season. So I'm not a day one original. I'm like a day 15 original. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you, if you were around and you had tickets to the very first game, I called you a day one original. I mean, you know, you may not be a day one season ticket holder, but that doesn't mean that you weren't part of the fold and the culture that brought this club to Los Angeles. I went to every home game that first season, too, even when I didn't have season tickets. I, it was like sold immediately. I just don't have the scarf that says I'm a, I'm an original. You know what? I bet you I have an extra one. I will make, <laughs> I, I will make sure if if you want one, I'm sure we can find a way to get that's you stolen one. valor. That's that's like when someone pretends to be in the military. I can't do that. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> You know, actually, I mean, you were a season ticket holder in the first season. You were an original. My book. All right. In All my right. book. Thank That's you, not stolen valor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how did you hear about it? Right? I mean, how was it on your radar? Where were you getting the information from? Uh, you know, you mentioned that you were living in Echo Park, right? You're in relative close proximity to the Coliseum. But, you know, where was it showing up that it was even on your radar? That's an interesting question. I mean, I'm... I... I want to say Twitter. This was back when Twitter was was fun and didn't make you feel bad all the time. Like, I think I must have seen like they, you, before we even had a name of the club. I remember it was like black and red. They had those scarves that said Los Angeles with whatever year it was that it was coming in. And I remember seeing them and Will. Fer you know what it was? I was working at Funny or Die at the time. And Will Farrell was running Funny or Die. I didn't know him at all. Like he was a figurehead of the company, but I was writing comedy for his website. And I remember because he would tweet about it when it was announced and he was an owner. That's, I was trying to remember. Yeah, that makes total sense. I had a, a weird connection in. And so then I followed whatever those accounts were and, and, and kept up to date and like was so excited when the logo was cool. Like it would have been a disaster if the logo was bad. <laughs> it's we're cool hat fc we have a cool hat no totally plus plus you know the font too, and the colors i think all that has to line up um because you don't want to be a few years in and having to do a rebrand yeah kind of a relaunch but i, I think i think you're right cool hat FC. it was probably the initial kind of impression a lot of people got too in the city yeah i i mean like i, I don't know about you guys but where i live like i don't see any galaxy stuff and i see la fc hats all the time Besides the Dodgers, I don't see anything more. Even like you don't really see Lakers hats. Like I, I go obviously I know there's a lot of Lakers fans, but hat wise, I think only the Dodgers beat LAFC. Well, that was one of the things that Rich Orozco had said was something he wanted to try and make iconic. Was you know because the the Dodgers hat is always going to be the hat of LA, right? Like mm -hmm. that's always going to be the hat that is the most popular hat in Los Angeles. But what's to say that there couldn't be another hat? You know, when you look uh, at other teams and other cities, you know, they have maybe they'll have, you know, two hats that are, are common and iconic for those cities. Um, and so, you know, and I and they stand out and you can obviously see that it is successful. I mean, I have to agree with you. If I see a, an MLS hat nine times out of 10, I feel like it's an LAFC hat and the Galaxy hats are, are few and far between. For sure. For sure. So you found you found out about the club. We, we, we were able to discover how because of Will. But there was a lot of very important events before. I mean, these supporters haven't 
what didn't wake up one day and were like this and they were going to events before any of this was built and anything like that but there were events across you know la were there any um that you partook on before the first kick or the first match no i bought all my gear ahead of time and i went and tailgated the first match with my friend gonzalo and we got good seats for the we sat behind the south side goal front row which was really cool to see but no, the first home game, I mean. But yeah, it, it, I didn't go to any of the other um, supporter events beforehand. I have sat in, in the 3252 twice. I've discovered I'm too old. I'm very tired <laughs> by the end. <laughs> I don't have the stamina. And my liver is not happy with me by the amount that I drink when I'm there. I'm, I'm happy with my seat choice now. I'm down in, I think, 126 or 129, one of those. Yeah, that that, that uh, first match sitting there on the south side, that was the same side where Laurent Simon kicked in the game-winning goal, right? Like that's that had to have been an amazing experience, especially being in, in the first row. It was insane. It was a very, very insane experience. I'm trying to I, did he kick it in on the south side? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I guess I was more drunk than I thought. <laughs> it was an incredible experience. And like they, they pass out those big gold banners that everyone was holding up that day. You just felt it that day. You like, you were like this, the thing that I saw and, and wanted in Seattle and Portland, I'm like, this might be better. This feels like the spark is there and they sing the whole time. I want to be a part of this. And there's no person that I take to a game that doesn't walk away going, I want to be a part of this. They might say, you know, I don't I still don't understand soccer, but I will go to as many games as you allow me to come to because it's, you know, it's unlike any other experience in L.A. So it sounds like you've taken more than just Gonzalo, who you mentioned, <laughs> tailgated with you that first match. There has been a handful of uh, partners for you. And how do they describe it other than I want to come back? So Gonzalo, I re I wrote Edith with the, the podcast that you want to listen to starring Rosamund Pike. Um, if anyone out there likes podcasts and they like narrative podcasts, it's eight episodes. It's fun. I wrote that with my friend Gonzalo, but I've brought a bunch of people. I, my first season tickets for the first two years were with my friend Lucia, um, who with my wife created the show Hacks on HBO Max, which won Best Comedy Writing at the Emmys last year. Great show. You should. It's better than anything I've ever done. You guys should watch that. But one of the co-creators of that and I shared season tickets the first two seasons. And then once she started doing the show, she didn't have time anymore. So they just became my seats. And then I brought so many writers and actors and like people in the industry and all of them. I just actually had somebody yesterday go in one week. I went to Bale's debut at the bank, then Juventus Real Madrid, and then SoFi Stadium by myself, uh, which was, which was uh, overwhelming by myself. Dedication. And, yeah, it was. I was like, what if something crazy happens? I want to be there for. <laughs> right. But I, you know, it was kind of boring until the PKs. <laughs> Don't tell Rich I said that. No, I mean, he listens. He'll hear it. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I mean, talk to us about the environment at the match against America, right? I, I mean, we had heard from, because Christian and I both were not there, but we had heard from the broadcast how live and how amazing the environment is. Jonathan was there. He was sitting amongst the supporters in the supporter section in right proximity to where the flares went off and things like that. So he said that it was an amazing atmosphere. But for, you know, for you as a fan, t talk to us a little bit about that experience for you. Yeah, I learned from the first season, like, okay, if you go to Carson, bring a friend and just be nice. You know, like that's, it, it was like, if you're going into enemy territory, make sure that you're on your best behavior and you're like, you're with a friend, you know, you just want to make sure you're safe. And so I was deciding whether or not to go. And I was like, you know, it's a huge stadium. I'm not going to sit in the supporter section. I'll, I'll, I'll be a nice man. And I was in like the 300 level or 200 level kind of midfield. 
And I got there for the end of the Galaxy game. And the Galaxy supporters were there, but you couldn't hear them. But they were there. I saw them. And then the game starts for America and LAFC. And the yellow smoke from our opponents came across the field and like covered the field. And it very much was like, oh, maybe we're we don't match up against this. It, it felt like for a second, like, oh, they have the vibe that we don't have because we don't like this. They literally took over the field with their smoke and the smoke clears as they're doing the national anthem and the whistle blows and the flares start going off. And it really felt like, OK, no, just kidding. <laughs> we're the like we're the ones who run the city. We know how to do this just as well as you do. I had never seen flares like that indoors. Truly, like uh, a little scary, but one like once you realize it's safe, and it it, it was just such a um, it was power, and you you could hear three two fifty two the whole game in such a big state. It made me be like, if we have if we're lucky enough to get MLS Cup, it's like maybe we could have it at SoFi. <laughs> it was a very cool experience. Although I would want to win at the bank, but you know, uh, you know, maybe in a few years, our second one. Yeah, it's definitely something that people have asked about is like having some really big events that LAFC are hosting, have them at the Coliseum or have them at SoFi Stadium or something like that. Because you know, I think that under the right circumstances, you could fill a stadium of that size. For sure, for sure. Have you guys been to SoFi before? It's like insane. I haven't had no. the opportunity yet. No. I I was a Ram season ticket holder when they played at the Coliseum, and then when they moved to SoFi, I ended up letting those tickets go, and I ended up buying more LAFC tickets. Smart, smart. I mean, it was. It took me an hour and 20 minutes to get there and then an hour to get out of the parking lot. So that wasn't great. But the stadium itself is maybe the most beautiful stadium I've ever seen. It's like truly incredible stadium. But I mean, it's no bank, but it, for like a stadium that size, it, it would... It felt like I was in the future. Yeah, I think Gensler was involved in that too. And I think they did a lot of making sure that even though it's enclosed, there's some open air flow. It takes advantage of the atmosphere, the environment. So it's one of the better planned stadiums in the whole world. So oh, that's I cool. just, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of research on it. I think they have tours too. Oh, cool. Um, and, there's a, and there's also, I think, a YouTube amphitheater next to it for like smaller events. So it's, it's, it's becoming like what LA Live wanted to be, but with a lot more land and space. Right. So I'm looking forward to to seeing a World Cup oh, game yeah. there. That's oh, one of the yeah, things I really fun. want to do or even an Olympic, you know, football match. I hope I hope it, they host one of them there instead of oh, although if they do it at the bank, it'd be great, too. But I keep thinking about like the MLS has been growing so much the last few years. And even this transfer window was just so wild for the league. Like if this keeps going. And then we have the World Cup. I can only imagine what the league is going to be like in the year following the World Cup and beyond. Like, it really feels like we have the momentum going into this thing that we didn't have in 94. I know 94 started the league, but it's like they did a really good job building the momentum of this league where it's it's really starting to feel like we're going to be in a really good place come the World Cup. Totally. I, I think top 10 league is not out of the question anymore. And we'll probably start getting into top eight, top six at this point with the investment and interest and the types of players that are choosing to come here too. And the, the development in terms of what we're selling on to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and even like some of the players that came over this transfer window, you know, not necessarily, I mean, I don't think Bale is not in his prime anymore, but there's people who are like our, our third DPs, what 28, like that's, that's great. I mean, it's such a good thing to get players that young coming over and wanting to play with us. Yeah, 27, I think he is. Just like Vela. Vela was around that age when he came, right? And now he he feels like he's been here forever, but he can still ball. Yeah, yeah. Man, Vela's done a great job of, like, transforming his game now that he's lost his legs a little bit. Like, he's a little slower. and he, But he can pass so well. Like, watching him 
set everybody up is really, really great. Don't tell him I said he lost his legs. No, oh, no, he, no, he listens. He listens. <laughs> he listens. I think he said that he said that himself. Though, like my game is shifting. I cannot do the same things I used to. Like, he, yeah. He's real with himself, but I think he does have that magical touch. And I feel like when he's running around or through people, he has this way to absorb uh, hits and like speed up somehow. Like he doesn't yeah. lose the ball. And uh, or he gets fouled, and it's it's one of the things that it makes him very unique, and you know get get resigned as a DP even though he's not scoring in the way he used to. Chicho's picking that up for him, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting to see too now with with all these attacking options, if the pressure eases off him a little bit, if he has a little bit more space to to start hitting some more of those long shots that he hasn't had the space to do the last few years. Totally. Back in 2019, you were on an episode of The Cooligans. Mm-hmm. Shout outs to Christian Polanco and Alexis Guerrero, our friends at The Cooligans. You were on Very episode funny. 262, right? Oh, hilarious. Those guys are so hilarious and, you know, good on them too. They just got a championship ring from NYCFC, right? That's like that's couldn't happen to some of the greatest greatest people, especially people that have done so much for this league. I want them to host like a, a show on Apple TV for the league when we're like, oh, we they should so host good. like our Inside the NBA. They're so funny. Put them with some players. That's a great TV show. Oh, it would be so much fun. Yeah. I, you know what? We should pitch that idea to them. I'm, <laughs> you know, I bet you they already have something going though. I bet you they already have something in the works. We need like um, a fun wraparound show like Inside the NBA and I feel like they're good people. Put them with like, a smart person and it'll be a great show <laughs> yeah i think mls has mls after dark but it's like they're all too nice and they're very positive i think alexis and christian are gonna call people out yeah that's what makes inside the nba so fun is is they're very mean to the players that are playing <laughs> sorry i didn't mean so, to interrupt your question no, just no. wanted to shout out the cooligans no, no we're spitballing here i like hey, this it's hey you can interrupt anytime to talk about the cooligans i'm cool with that okay so but at the time in 2019 you were working for crooked media and uh you know crooked media is a comedy journalist company that also ties in politics and so they were talking to you a little bit about presidential candidates and uh they asked who Joe Biden was in the MLS, right? And your response was that at the time you said Joe Biden was the Colorado Rapids. Uh, you know, that some people know who they are, but nobody really cares. And, you know, he's just kind of there. <laughs> so I wanted to see if you were interested in, you know, talking about who Joe Biden is in the MLS in 2022. You know, uh, just for the record for your listeners, so my all my cards are on the table, Crooked Media makes Pod Save America. The hosts of that show are all Obama administration staffers, Democratic Party, left-leaning people. So I am—I voted for Joe Biden. I wasn't rooting for him in the primary, but I voted for Joe Biden. Um, I will vote for him again uh, if he runs again in two years. That said, <laughs> I, I was—I—that's a good question, and I think I said the Colorado Rapids because it's like they're always like fine, and in the end they're going to win a little bit. But I think I. <laughs> I think maybe now hear me out and know that I voted for Joe Biden. I think he's the Sacramento Republic. Here's why. (laughs) Okay. He didn't, he hadn't been doing great. You know, things weren't going great for old Joe for a while. And then suddenly in the last two weeks, they surprised us with some big wins. Sacramento Republic came out of nowhere and won the U.S. Open Cup. First team from USL to do it. Joe Biden just they haven't won it. They're in the final, but they oh, they're in the final. But they beat. The okay, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. But the victory, well, the victory point is is well taken because yeah. I will say that legislatively, there's been a couple big wins for for Joe, especially in the last like two two to three weeks. They've right. done things that they've been trying to do the last few times. So counted them out. 
couldn't even get into the league. That's how people were talking about Joe Biden. Just kidding. Came around. Is doing all right right now. We'll see if they win in 2024 and if they win in uh, Orlando. I mean, that's actually, you know, especially because uh, Sacramento was supposed to be a team that was joining the MLS. And then there Mm -hmm. was issues with their stadium and their ownership and things like that. And, you know, I think that that's actually great. We'll have to. I'll have to text Alexis and let him know that we've updated. It's <laughs> a timely uh, response Joe, too. For yeah, the question. The, let him know that uh, Joe Biden is now officially the Sacramento Republic. <laughs> he will. I mean, we'll see. That, that's not going to age well when they lose like by eight goals in Orlando. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well, tell him I said hi when you text him as well. Oh, I will. I will. Let's go back to. Well, I guess what was your best or favorite memory so far? As you've been, you've been there since day one. I feel like that first match was pretty epic, but there was a lot of good matches in the. I think 18, 19, we'll forget about 2021 and then this year as well. You know, I think, I bet this is a lot of people's answer, but the win against Leon and we were down by two goals away and then like going into the game being like, there's no way we have a shot at this. Got to go support. It's important. And like the Leon fans were very cocky in the stadium to begin with. And we were pretty humble. I think we all thought that we weren't going to win that game. I went with my friend Yoni Lotan, who I just went to another game with, who was dressed like a minion and was on the screen maybe eight times during the game. If anyone was at the game and saw the minion, yes, that was my I friend. I remember that vividly. Yeah, my friend Yoni Lotan. Uh, he was at the Leon game with me. And we just like, we scored the first one. It's like, okay, we'll make this a game. We score the second one. And it's like, oh, oh, wow, it's a game. And then the third goal happens. And I just like, it was a blur. I just remember like hugging. I bent down and like hugged his midsection and shaked it. I was screaming. It was a very fun atmosphere and experience. After the game, I traded scarves with the own fan that I have down in my office. It's uh, the only time I've ever traded scarves. It was like a very, it was a cool environment to be in. It was pre-pandemic too. So there was no hesitancy about like high-fiving and cheering with your fellow fans and everything it was you know i've been to playoff games i've i've been to those early games gareth bale's first game but that was the that was the time where it felt like we really won something and then we don't talk about tigris no (laughs) aka bruno (laughs) we we were watching the america match and uh you know my wife who doesn't really watch a lot of international football, but she'll watch LAFC. She saw the the logo and she was like, oh, isn't that the team that we played? And I was like, yeah, that's the team <laughs> with Memo Ochoa who got Atuesta the red card and ended up losing us the match. And it was a chain event of all these things that I'm just still bitter about. Yeah, it really felt like we were going to win that whole tournament. Like we we beat America, we beat Leon. It really just felt like inevitable at that. And we played well. We were doing well. It was a it was brutal. Yeah. We ran, I think we didn't have the depth we do now. Uh, that's what happened with Atuesta going down. Like we didn't have another person stepping up. And um now I feel way more confident about that. The the, the opportunity of the next person coming up and being able to finish a game out. Yeah, I was just going to say that like Atuesta was such an important part of the team and it felt like last year I don't know if he lost a step or he wasn't passionate about playing for Bob anymore or whatever, but he just didn't seem to care as much as a player. And it really felt like that's when everything fell apart and you bring in Acosta and you bring in Sanchez. And like, now we have two options that are just as good as, as Atuesta and we can interchange them when we need to. It it really does feel like at every single position, even, even keeper, like, uh, McCarthy did a great job at the, the SoFi game. Like he made huge saves in that game. I know that people were, were, publicly making fun of him for the PKs, but he did so well during the the full-time game uh, or the, re- the whatever, the 90 minutes. Um, you can't be mad at him. 
Also, I would never be mad at a goalie for missing PKs. It's random. No, I, I right. I, I think that uh, what he did during the match and the saves he made during the match, you know, full body of work type of thing. Like you could tell that that he made some great saves and and you know what he even guessed right several times. It was just the actual finishing it to yeah. to stop. You know, I don't think that you could really be that upset with him about his performance as goalie. Yeah, he uh, he also streams on Twitch sometimes. I've been watching him play Call of Duty on Twitch. It's only like 30 people watching him. So if anyone's interested, he'll, he posts about it. Uh, now I sound very obsessed with the team. I'm one of 30 people watching our backup goalie play Call of Duty. <laughs> well, Travis, thank you very much for everything. You know, you've been great. We really appreciate you coming on. It's great to hear these stories about fans who are very passionate about LAFC. Again, if you're interested in following any of his funny, I mean, if you go back and look at your Twitter, man, some of the stuff you say is it's pretty hilarious, right? But you can go and look at Travis Helwig. That is how that is his Twitter and Instagram handle. Please, you know, keep us in mind if you've got anything that's ever coming up and you ever want to talk about it. But before we let you go, you know, we do have to ask you one last question. Uh, it is the name of the show. Uh, you know, Travis, tell us what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? First off, I want to thank you for letting me come on here. And and like I said, I listen to the show. I'm a big fan of the show. It means a lot that you guys are helping build this community and, and looking at different uh, parts of it and talking to different people in it. And I think something that LAFC has, and it's indicative of shoulder to shoulder, is lots of different people from all over Los Angeles. It's one of the few places when you go to the bank, it really feels like all of Los Angeles coming together. I know I only moved here 10 years ago, but I never feel more like someone who lives in Los Angeles than when I'm at the bank. So thank you for including me uh, in that community as well. And I think shoulder to shoulder has always meant to me no matter what, we've got each other's back. And, you know, you I, I'm a progressive guy. I work for all these people that work for Obama. And I look up in the 3252 and there's always signs about, you know, protecting indigenous people and, uh, you know, uh, ending police brutality and like supporting the little guy at all times. And I think shoulder to shoulder means to me like looking out for the guy next to you. You don't know anything about them, but you're willing to look out for the people next to you because their lives are just as important as yours. And I feel that at the bank and I feel that in 3252. And I feel that with the project that you guys have here. So thank you for having me on. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for putting your time into building this community. I think it's really important. Well, we appreciate you coming on. And these are some of our favorite episodes when we get to meet the fans that that share the same passion that we do. Again, this has been Travis Helwig, three-time Emmy award winning, waiting for that fourth one to get that, uh, <laughs> that uh, primetime Emmy. But, uh, you know, we appreciate it. We'll catch you again at a bank. Again, if anybody wants to give him a follow it's at travis helwig uh, t-r-a-v-i-s-h-e-l-w-i-g and uh travis thank you very much man we'll definitely be seeing you at a match coming up soon and uh we'll look so. forward to having you on again uh in the future yeah nice to meet you guys thank you for having me bear with us we'll be right back with a quick break with our opponent correspondent for this week previewing the match against charlotte fc and that'll be brian mauer from topbin90.com we'll be right back Yo, this is Shavo from System of a Down, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us now as our opponent correspondent this week is going to be Brian Maurer. Brian Maurer works for Top Bin 90. You can follow them at Top Bin 90 or check out their site at topbin90.com. Please give our friend Brian a follow. You can follow him at BA Maurer Media on all your social media platforms. Brian, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me tonight. I really appreciate the invite. No worries. Uh, you know, Charlotte is a club, obviously brand spanking new to the league 
but one that LAFC have never faced before. This is our one sole meeting this year. And because of TV options, we rarely get a chance to view your club for us. So just to recap, you guys are currently sitting 11th in the East, 29 points, 9 wins, 13 losses, and 2 ties. It's been kind of an up-and-down season for y'all. You guys will crush a big team. You guys have taken out the likes of Nashville, the New Jersey energy drinks. But then you'll stumble against some bottom feeders like a Houston or a Miami. So I think it's kind of hard for us on the outside looking at a statistical view of this team to really wrap our heads around what's going on. So if you could, for our fans, kind of catch us up on the state of the franchise in this year inaugural season. Yeah, I think, honestly, for a lot of our fans here in Charlotte, we're also trying to keep up with how to keep track of how the team is doing itself just because we're so good at home. We're eight and four at home, but then one, two, and nine on the road. And so it's just we're at a completely different state when we're away from the fans in the Bank of America Stadium in the Carolinas. And it's just it's it's just a completely different atmosphere. It seems like their legs aren't quite under them when they're away from from that energy and away from that home crowd um, when they're on the road. Um, and also just outside of the games itself, um, we've kind of had a, just a kind of a, a, a an up and down uh front office as well a little bit I'd say we had the, the firing of Miguel Angel Ramirez our initial coach um, uh, when we had pretty high expectations of him and they fired him mid-season brought in the new coach Christian Latanzio he still brings a similar philosophy the 4-3-3 um, attacking philosophy but um, it just it brought some turnover mid-season um, and then now I would say the big thing is just um, we're really good at home we're really rough and had a really rough go of it away from home. Um, but right now we've finally started to get a little bit more consistency with our, with our, our lineup, I'd say. Um, but we've also run into a bit of tough form. So it's again, like my explanation, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. <laughs> you know, in, in looking at this roster, there's a lot of names that are probably not household names to us here in Los Angeles. Now I've got to be honest, Jordi Reyna looks legit, right? This guy can ball, but who else do you expect to stand out for the squad and who have really been the stars so far this season? So Ben Bender is probably another name that has stuck out uh, for a lot of people outside of Charlotte. He was our first uh, super draft pick, first round pick, and uh, he's stood out pretty well. Uh, he's gotten three goals and six assists. Uh, so he's he's been uh, a, a bright spot that I don't think really a lot of people expected to come out of the gate so hot. Um, I would say uh, also Carol Swiderski, our DP striker, has come into form. Uh, and, and he, he came out of the gate really hot. We got two braces out of him in like the first uh, few weeks. Then he like went on a 12 game drought where he didn't score any goals. Uh, and then his, but he's got three goals in the last uh, few games. And so it started to get back into form. So I'd say he's another uh, name to keep an eye on. Uh, he's really good up top. Uh, also he's good at dropping back deep into the midfield and creating from there. He likes to get on the ball. So he's not just a striker that's just gonna stay up top and play off the back shoulder. He's gonna come back in, get a little deep and uh, deliver some passes out wide to the wingers and then get back into the mix in the box from there. So looking beyond the star players, you know, kind of fill out the rest of the role players and give us your anticipated starting 11 for this weekend's matchup. Yeah, so, I mean, we're definitely going to go with a 4-3-3 with a single pivot uh, defensive midfielder. It's going to be Brant Bronico, um, almost like uh, most likely. Uh, he's been our regular starter in the defensive midfield. Um, in the two uh, eights, I would say it's probably going to be something along the lines of Ben Bender and then either another rookie undrafted uh, free agent that we picked up um, from Clemson, uh, Quinn McNeil, 
or if not him, maybe Derek Jones. Uh, he's another center midfielder. Um, Jordi Reyna will most likely be out top on the left wing. Swiderski, center forward. Then we're going to have probably uh, Mackenzie Gaines at right wing. He's got a lot of pace. He's another one to keep an eye on. He's got a lot of pace, uh, especially to, and against a team like Los Angeles, where we're probably going to be on the back foot quite a bit. We're going to rely on him to probably try to get in behind y'all's center backs. Um, so I would say he's probably out of right wing and then maybe either or Shinyashiki as well. He's, we've been using him kind of as a super sub because he's been scoring a lot of goals. We picked him up from Colorado earlier in, earlier in the year. He scored a lot of goals, especially off the bench recently. So I think there's a decent chance he also comes in uh, late. Or, I mean, a lot of fans have been also calling for him to get back in the starting lineup. So we'll kind of see. Our back line is the one uh, real big question mark right now. We just lost Guzman Carujo, who was really our leader uh, in the center back role. Um, so he's... Just went out with an injury, and I think it might be for the rest of the season. So our back line is going to be quite shaky, um, uh, potentially. When he, I mean, he was just our fireman. He's put out a ton of fires this season, which is pretty expected from, I think, an expansion season when we're going to make some mistakes and we're a little bit inexperienced. And he, but he was always there to really put those fires out. And so without him, uh, that back line might get a little bit more questionable. We're probably still going to have Anton Walks back there. Probably Christian Fuchs is the other center back position. Uh, left back will probably be Joseph Mora. Right back will be between Jalen Lindsay and Afool. None of our new signings from the transfer window will be available yet. So I don't know if that's other also been um, something that's come up, but they're still waiting on their visas. That's going to probably be a couple of weeks. Well, it certainly looks like there's some bright stars on the horizon, but you've already sort of answered my next question. So we don't anticipate any of those new signings to feature in this game. So 4-3-3 single pivot. Looks like uh, both LAFC and Charlotte are going to line up with roughly the same tactic and formation. Is there anything that you think Charlotte needs to do if they're going to be able to scratch out a point or three from this match? Where is the big matchup going to take place on the field? And what specifically do they need to execute if they're going to walk away from Baker California Stadium with points? Um, I think the one big thing is not making mistakes because I think y'all are going to be able to press us pretty high. I mean, y'all seem to like like to put some pressure on and attack quickly and directly after re, uh, gaining the possession. And we like to keep possession in a decent amount of our games and kind of play with the ball a lot. And so, but what, what happens then is we make a lot of mistakes occasionally. And um, I think, so that's the big thing. If we're going to come away with any points, we've got to, you know, reduce the amount of mistakes, um, which has been you know, difficult, especially on the road. I think there's been a lot more mistakes that have been made on the road. So it's going to have to be reducing those mistakes um, and just finding a way to dig deep and get some energy from the team. And I think that's the other big thing that we've seen from the last couple of road games, specifically Toronto and Miami. It's just their energy hasn't quite been there the way it is at home, um, which, you know, is uh, demonstrated in the record and the, the, the vast difference in the, the records between home and away. So I think those are going to be the two main things is just reducing mistakes and just really trying to keep that game close and scrappy if they can and keep it within a goal and maybe find something late to tie it. Because I think LA just has so much firepower right now. It's just going to be really hard to keep that game, keep that game close. Um, if there's any specific matchup, I would say um, that's been our biggest downfall is just the inexperience at central midfield. And y'all have so much like so many great center midfielders there right now, like Sif Fuentes, especially I think sticks out to me, Ilya Sanchez. Um, and we just have been really outmatched. They're just experience wise with Ben Bender being a rookie and Quinn McNeil getting a, getting a lot of minutes late. It's just been uh, difficult for them to kind of 
match up man to man against a lot of these other opponents in central midfielder and kind of they get bossed around a little bit. So I think that's going to be the other area of concern is like, how do they handle um, not, you know, what happens when we kind of lose, lose ground in the central midfield, how can we defend that or back that up or still get the ball out wide to the wings? What's your anticipated traveling support going to be for this game? We know bank at California stadium, usually a very hospitable place for away fans to come and hang out with the 3252 and our tailgates before the game. And usually a very welcoming environment. How has the team been supported in away travel? And do you know if there's a big contingency heading out to Los Angeles? Oh, actually, that's a good question. I haven't seen a huge contingency contingency coming out to LA uh a decent amount of fans I think went out to the Seattle game there was definitely uh, a steady handful and there's actually a really good story behind one of them this is uh, one supporter section Chico who's been to every single game and that was the one game he couldn't make it to but they set up a, the supporter group set up a GoFundMe and were able to get the funds in to get him out to Seattle so he's been to every game uh so I would look to see him there for sure and outside of that I think for the most part, the, the far West Coast games have been the definitely, I mean, it's, uh, you know, pretty easy to explain is the e- easier ones to, to miss. Um, I would assume it would probably be similar for LA if they were to come visit Charlotte next year. It would be, probably be one of the more challenging games for them, to, for them to get to. But, I mean, our crowd has been amazing all season. And I was, you know, that was, I think, one of the concerns early on. Would we have a big crowd at the beginning, you know, with that 74,000 that we had? you know, against LA Galaxy, you know, that record-breaking crowd, would that just completely dissipate as the season progressed? And the crowd has really hung in there at 30,000 plus week in and week out at home. Um, And for the most part on away crowds, I mean, we've gotten several hundred, especially out here on the East, uh, East Coast. We have to be excited. Look, any team that can draw north of 30,000 fans, that's enough revenue coming in that we should expect this team to continue to grow. And I think a lot of us expected bigger things than we've seen so far this season. Y'all have hit some road bumps along the way, but we expect this roster to be retooled. And, and, you know, this team is going to compete in seasons to come. But as far as your predictions for the match this weekend, and if you could follow that up with your predictions for the rest of the season for Charlotte. Yeah, so I think right now, especially after the tough loss, we had against Chicago this past weekend um, it's going to be really intense and tough for us to, to to compete and stick with that LA firepower I'm hoping to see us be able to keep it within a goal and maybe be able to find something late as an equalizer but I'm I'm predicting that LA beats us 3-1 3-1 in the bank and then uh, for the rest of the season that loss in Chicago really hurt and you can feel it in the crowd and the atmosphere after the game um, both in the front office the staff Everyone just really felt that one because it was at home. It was a game they expected to win, expected to pick up some points and really kind of stay at the edge of that playoff race for the rest of the season. And with the tough stretch of games we have, because we not only have y'all this uh, this weekend, but we also are this yeah, this Saturday, but we also have we have to turn around quick. We don't, they don't even come back to Charlotte. They go straight to New York for a Wednesday game uh, to play NYCFC. So they play the two best teams in MLS within four days. And so <laughs> it's just a, a brutal stretch. Uh, for an inaugural season and so after losing that game I think there's definitely a little bit of loss of momentum mentally Um, so I'd say um, the rest of the season I mean maybe we can sneak back into the playoff race but really just seeing if this team can hang in and stay competitive like they have been for the most part of the season and you know continue to to make waves on occasion get that surprise you know win see how these new signings come in, see how they perform, how they fit into the group. I think there's a lot of excitement around Nuno Santos specifically coming in from uh, the youth program in Benfica and where he's been playing in the Primera Liga in Portugal. So seeing how he fits in throughout the rest of the season. So there's still a lot of excitement, whether or not they actually hang in with the playoff race the rest of the way. 
there's still a lot of uh, excitement around the fan base and around this team in general. Well, I think one thing to your benefit here is that LAFC is coming off a fairly tight schedule with the League's Cup Showcase versus Club America midweek last week, the travel up in altitude to Utah over the weekend, contingency of our players joining the All-Star game midweek as well, too. It might be a fairly heavily rotated squad versus y'all. So uh, there might be some light, at least in the lineup for y'all in that regard. But wishing you guys the best of luck, not potentially at Bank of California Stadium, but throughout the rest of the season and going into next offseason. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. Once again, our opponent correspondent representing Charlotte FC this week has been Brian Maurer. You can give him a fall at BA Maurer Media. Uh, Maurer is M-A-U-R-E-R. And please check out Top Bin 90. You can follow them at Top Bin 90 and TopBin90.com. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, folks. We will be right back after this quick break with the final segment of today's show. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. You're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, Black and Gold family, we're back for the outro. Uh, we're looking at the potential upcoming match. We just heard our predictions from uh, Brian Maurer. Again, thank you to Brian from TopBin90.com for giving us that preview. So, you know, we've got a couple of things, Christian, right, for this upcoming match. First time playing against Charlotte FC. It'll be interesting to see the return of Pablo Cisniega. The all-star game players, are they going to get a night off? I think it also might depend on how many minutes they're going to play in the match tomorrow. At the time of recording, the all-star game is tomorrow still. You know, and again, Ilya Sanchez is going to have to be out because of yellow card accumulation. So what is the, and if they were to get the night off? Palacios, Vela, Sanchez, who would be the players that you would expect to fill in for those players against Charlotte FC? I mean, I don't foresee them playing more than a half in the All-Star game. So I think Vela and Palacios should come off the bench. I think we have enough firepower to um, to not have them start, right? So hopefully, maybe we see Bale's first start with Chicho and Apoku. And Bale goes, you know, a half or 60 minutes. And then it's uh, complemented by Vela coming in. And then I also think Rodriguez is going to get some minutes. So I, I don't foresee an issue there. And then for Palacios, I think he probably comes in last half hour, 45 minutes, and gives um, Hollingshead a chance to start. Um, he's been doing well uh, as, a, as a sub. But I think with the load on Palacios to travel back and forth, um, and I'm hoping that he goes from Minnesota straight to Charlotte, obviously. But I, I think... I think it'll be important for him to be a little fresher. Um, so yes, let's let's give him some sort of minutes off, but I don't think they get the night off. I, I don't think they would want to get the night off anyway. Yeah, you know, and it's also interesting too. If you look ahead one more match past Charlotte FC, we have another match on Tuesday at the bank, DC United. So we're gonna have the match on Saturday, August 13th versus Charlotte FC. Three days later, Tuesday, August 16th, we're going to be playing DC United. So there's also going to be potentially a little bit of balance of minutes, managing people's times and things like that, having those two matches within three days. Uh, And then again, after the match against DC United on the 16th, four days later on Saturday, August 20th, we have to travel up north to go play uh, the San Jose Earthquakes. So three matches in a uh, in a one week period. Uh, so there is going to be a little bit of that too. So I think that we might see an abbreviated matchup. Uh, Charlotte FC does not have a very good record on the road. Um, and DC United is in last place in the Eastern conference. 
so luckily we have several games in this tight window and you know the opponents are not some of the most more lethal opponents currently right now in the MLS. Yeah, winnable games and I think we have the quality and the depth to be able to manage them. So uh I trust the the training staff um and the coaching staff to make the right decisions and have the conversations also have the stats with all the tracking information that they have to be able to manage to through the next week week and a half um but yeah i i think no matter what team we put out is going to be strong enough to be charlotte and potentially dc and i do think that it makes sense to, to rest vela and, and palacios once they come back from the all-star team uh, and for the all-star game and rejoin the team yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, we're not going to have an episode previewing the DC United match. It's just too much of a, a quick turnaround unless we figure out a way to do a quick on the counter recap with no opponent correspondent. But uh, the return of Wayne Rooney, you know, it'll be. Uh, but now this time, Wayne Rooney is a coach. You know, it's uh, unfortunate DC United is still struggling and it'll definitely be an interesting one to see. Totally. And I think Benteke was signed also in the transfer window. So that's right. Christian Benteke um, signed from, uh, I think he was at uh, Crystal Palace. Yep. Crystal Palace. So it, 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 they're, they're starting to turn a corner. Is it's too short of a runway to make the playoffs probably and how badly they, they had the beginning part of the season. But I think there's some positive momentum for the DC United fans. Of course, we want to rain on that parade uh, next Tuesday uh, so that, um, they kind of get brought down back to earth, but they've had some good results since uh, Rooney's been the manager over at DC United. Perfect. So, uh, you know, I'm expecting three wins over the next three matches. I'm just calling it right here, bro. I'm just telling you, Charlotte, I expect to win at home. DC United, I expect to win at home. And then, of course, traveling up north to see San Jose, who's currently sitting in, in second to last place in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, I, I think that we have teams now they could these could be those uh those trip up games right those those matches where you overlook opponents but i think that having three opponents that are on the weaker side of things in a row it uh it's not like you're looking ahead at the next opponent it, it has you to stay grounded so i'm i am definitely looking to continue to build on that lead that we are holding right now uh in the supporter shield race i agree it's, it's the expectation i have with the opponents Three games, three three wins over the next week and a half. Awesome. Well, for Christian, myself, Jonathan Reimer, and sound engineer Wilton, we want to thank you all for listening to episode 131 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. For any of you that are interested in reaching out to us, please give us a follow or send us a message at LAFCS2S or go ahead and send any of us an email. Uh, we would love to hear your guys' story, meet you guys in person, and just continue to make this podcast grow more and more. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.